Good morning, Sun Valley Church, and welcome to another episode of The Voice of the Valley. I am your host, Jeremy Pinch, and with me this morning, I have Pastor Rick Whitmer and Pastor John Schubert. Today, we're going to be talking about spiritual warfare. Uh, We know that we have a lot of different people in our church coming from different denominations and backgrounds, and so we want to discuss this topic, what it is, what it's not, um, how we fight, who we fight, when we fight. Uh, those type of things. So to get us started with this podcast, I'm going to read three different verses. I'm going to read from Ephesians 6, uh, James 4, and James 1. Ephesians 6, uh, verses 12 and 16 says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Verse 16 says this, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. James 4.4, You adulterous people, do do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And then finally, James 1, 13 through 15. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So in each of these passages, it seems to point out that we are fighting uh, different things. Uh, We're fighting against the rulers and authorities of this present darkness, um, spiritual forces of evil. Uh, James 4 is talking about the world. Uh, James 1 is talking uh, about us. So uh, who who are we fighting? Who are we fighting uh, particularly when we look at these passages? Um, Jeremy, thanks uh, for bringing this subject up because this this really is a subject of great importance, and um, it's been pointed out um, by uh, David David Pallison over at the uh, Christian Counseling and Education Foundation in a book um, that he's written on spiritual warfare um, that you know, that every believer, no matter what their denominational or theological leanings believes in spiritual warfare. Um, This is a very Christian subject, um, but there's a lot of confusion on this subject. And the fact is, these passages that you just read are a daily reality for us. And really what it comes down to in the passages that that were just uh, mentioned is that that we have the world, the flesh, and the devil, um, which is a, um, a triad that's very familiar to those who are the children of the Reformation. Um, the Puritans spoke about these three enemies that we are fighting, the world, the flesh, and the devil. So just in a, in a nutshell, I think that's, that's what it comes down to as far as what are we as believers up against. Yeah, I also uh, agree with that. And uh, I think as we say those three words, the world, the flesh, and the devil, what do we mean? You know, right. that kind of thing's important to to identify. I mean, the, the world, you know, in James 4, of course, isn't talking about the physical world that we live in. It's not talking about, you know, the, the temptation to go rafting down the river. You know, the world's evil. That river is evil. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about 
the worldly system. Yeah. You know, unless you're rafting on Sunday, then then we got a problem. <laughs> yes. But um, and that might be a very great area of spiritual warfare. <laughs> yes. Yes. For some. Yeah. But uh, so. I think it's important we identify things. We, I think it's easy to identify who Satan and me are, um, but uh, a lot of times even those need to be defined because me, a lot of times we, even though as as James made clear in the in the verse you read from chapter one, um, that that it's 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 me. It's not the headache I have that caused me to sin. It's not my um, fatigue that caused me to lash out. It's me. It's my heart. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so um, it's important to understand that as we're talking about these things that we wrestle with. And of course, Satan, you know, I think this is one of the reasons that you brought it up this morning, Jeremy, was to think about Satan's role in this whole thing. He is the enemy who's prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour and um, if we're not careful, th- that person is us. And so we need to be alert, as, as Peter said, you know, be alert about these things and pay attention. But I just wanted to throw in there the importance of, you know, clear definitions on what we're talking about. Yeah, and so like with, with the flesh, what, what you're saying is that um, yet I, as Rick, am not, just the fact that I exist is not, is not the enemy. It's it's my sinful nature. It is my my natural radical depravity that is what I'm warring against when we're talking about the self yes. and the flesh. Yeah, and so I think the reason I'm, I I clarified that point was because I I hear often and I and I do this myself. Um, I blame my circumstances for my sin. Mm-hmm. Um, when it's not my circumstances, it's me. Right. Uh, my heart is evil. My my nature still has this residue of of the old self that the Holy Spirit's trying to rid me of through sanctification. Um, and so I, because of my sin, I try to blame anybody but me, um, even my circumstances, yeah, for my sinful you know reactions or words or whatever. Yeah, is there, is there a sense of trying to justify yourself in those of course. circumstances? Yeah, I don't want to be identified as the problem. Yeah. I mean, no one likes that. Um, even, even, you know, so many apologies that we hear coming from um, media outlets these days, you know, uh, talk show hosts or athletes, you know, they have an apology for something they said. And rarely is the apology an authentic apology, as we would define it. It's always, um, if any of you were offended, mm-hmm. you know, that's how they introduce their apology. Sure. Instead of, what I said was wrong, and what I said came from my heart, and I, I just want you to forgive me. Even for that. if nobody was offended, what I said was objectively wrong. Yes. Yeah. So it has nothing to do with the reception. Right. <laughs> it's got everything to do with what came out of your mouth or or the action you you did. Yeah. My my family and I recently went to um, to the Seattle Science or the Pacific Science Center, and we were, I just like to I usually like to look through little gift shops and stuff at places like this, and I saw. Um, a hat or something that said science made me do it, and and it, that's all there was. No explanation for it, but the way that I understood it was very much in terms of my genetics, and and my, you know, my ancestors have contributed to the reason I am the way I am. So yeah. therefore, science made me do it. And you, you hear that a lot, and so you get that in counseling too when we're talking with people in pastoral situations, and 
you know, it's like, are we captive to these circumstances and, and things that we cannot change? Um, and the answer is no. Well, I think a more, uh, doctrinally accurate excuse for our sin might be instead of blaming our circumstances like your headache or whatever is to blame Adam say (laughs) you know honey I'm sorry what I said to you if it weren't for Adam you know in his original sin I mean actually honey it was Eve (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> this is this is quickly becoming a different podcast. Yes. <laughs> We're getting into marriage counseling here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's always room. So is there is there a danger in putting more focus on one area of uh, spiritual warfare over the other? Uh for instance, putting more more focus on Satan's dominion and his evil forces than on my own actions or my own heart? I would absolutely, I would absolutely say yes. And the reason is, um, I, I don't have to look outside my own self to know that the answer to that is yes. And, and that's not a subjective answer. It's, it's a biblical observation. Um, when given the option, if I'm not careful, I'm generally going to tend to look outside of myself for an explanation, just like we've been talking about, looking outside of myself for an explanation for why things are going wrong. Um, and if I can locate the problem primarily in the world, in the influences coming in on me from outside in a world that's hostile to Christ, if I can, if I can believe that there's an extra concentrated amount of demonic activity um, encroaching at my spiritual doorstep, then I have to look, then I don't have to look as much inside my own heart into the hidden recesses of my own perverted thinking and, and reacting and speaking those things that do come out of my heart. Um, and so there is a, a temptation to take something that's absolutely an enemy, the, you know, the world and demonic forces, and to give them an extra share of responsibility here. Um, I, a few years, several years ago, I became convinced that of these three enemies, by far the most sinister was myself, my flesh, because that's the one that's actively deceiving me day in and day out. That's the one that I can't get away from, depending on my circumstances. Yeah, your heart is deceitful, like everyone's. Yes. And you possess that. Right, and we don't like we don't like that option, which is why we deflect. Right, right. So that's why we try to find another source of our struggle. Mm-hmm. And yet, um, from a biblical perspective, all three work in unison against a- us. Absolutely. And I think you know I, I've tried to think about the umbrella here, and I'm not certain that <clears throat> the umbrella it falls under Satan or the world or me, but I, I'm. I lean towards the world simply because the prince and the power the prince and the power of the air is the ruler of this world. I am a resident of this world. Um, I'm not trying to take the blame that resides, you know, comfortably on me or uncomfortably on me, I should say, and and displace it to Satan or to the world. But I'm saying, I am a resident of this planet. I am born as a member of this planet's system. Um, and so I, I think that, that sin, which is, which is you know, insidious, has infected 
the world and myself, and the, the father of lies, the, I think the originator of sin, Satan, uh, is behind a lot of this stuff. Yeah. And, and I'm not, I, I do not agree with many who, who try to find a, uh, a, a, a demonic source behind their lust or you know, you know, a, a difficult situation at work. Right. Uh, I do not. I, I do not believe that. I, I'm not saying it's un- impossible, because it may be that Satan has particular interest in defeating your situation at work or in your home. But I, I agree with you completely that the first place you check is your heart. Right. Yeah. You know, and there seems to be, um, you know, in some quarters of Christianity, a uh, an unhealthy preoccupation with the demonic, um, to, to the extent that, that the default isn't to check the natural sinful flesh that, that we have. But then on the other hand, there's an unhealthy tendency in other parts to ignore the demonic completely. And this has been a severe byproduct of living in the materialistic age in which we do, um, because we have a culture that is not giving, um, credence to the spiritual aspects, which is part of why, you know, the, the prevailing scientific models today have to find a physical explanation for everything that goes wrong with the human soul, because we don't, we can't sit there and scientifically measure the human soul, and yet we know it's real. And so we've got these two sides that we can fall off on one way or another. Um, and coming down to, and people will ask this question, um, from time to time. I can't figure out what's going on right now, whether it's primarily a, a demonic assault or if, whether it's primarily from within me or, or what part of this is the world, just being the world. And my answer is almost always, does it matter? <laughs> does it matter? Because I can't, from Genesis to Revelation, I can't find a single passage at least it's coming to my conscious remembrance right now, that indicates that we need to or are called to figure out what parts of a situation are each. Um, The call of Christ in the midst of any situation, whatever part demonic to the flesh it is, uh, is the same. And the passages you read um, get us in that direction. Yeah, so I so I came out of the charismatic movement. I was I was neck deep in that movement, and the notion of um, the demonic evil that was that was primary in everything. Um, if you're struggling with something, well, you must have some demonic force hovering over you. Let's cast it out. Let's cast it out. Yeah, seriously. I mean, that's 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 how it was. And then I. Um, came back and was introduced to reform theology and the idea of the word reintroduced reintroduced yes i guess is <laughs> he wasn't awake the first time yeah. <laughs> um but the idea of the flesh in the world was so new to me that there was kind of this pendulum switch uh shift from focusing so much on the demonic and then shifting to this other idea so how do you help people um, with that pendulum shift, I guess, going from this is all there is, this is all you're fighting, this is, you know, this, and then you switch over to this, and it's like, okay, how do we find this balance between the three? Read Luther's table talk. <laughs> you know, the, the table, and I'm being a little tongue-in-cheek, but it's actually 
pretty eye-opening because you, you just mentioned uh, Reformed theology as being something that people can shift to from a charismatic view of a demon behind every bush and some and almost ignore the reality of the demonic. But look at the man that God used to spark the Protestant Reformation. He is famous for his spiritual battles, you know, yelling at Satan, um, just trying to... He, he was very intent, this really does come out in, in the things that his students recorded around his dinner table. He has entry after entry uh, of talking about how to make war against the devil. Um, so our, you know, the Reformation began with uh, a man who recognized the power of evil in this world, um, but a man who also recognized the power of sin in the human heart and the and the singular solution to both of those problems in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so we begin with a dogmatic Christ-centeredness in all things, connected with the scriptures, never outside of them. And that would be a good place to start. Yeah, I, I would say, you know, you know, Luther's a good a good reference. The gospels are also a good reference, you know, when you when you're reading about Jesus' interaction with um, the demonic world, uh, I think it's it's significant on how he dealt with it. You know, when he came face to face with the enemy in the wilderness, his reference was Scripture. Mm-hmm. He always went to Scripture, and so I would say, you know, to answer your question, how do we get people to 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 embrace the truth uh, or the truths of the spiritual world and our battle with it? The Scriptures. You know what are the what's the Bible say? You know, there, and this doesn't this doesn't just reside in the New Testament. It's it's in the Old as well. The Psalms and the Proverbs are full of of exhortations and teaching towards you know dealing with these things. And you know the you know the Psalmist when he struggled with discouragement or depression or or you know circumstantial opposition, he didn't he didn't refer to demonic activity most of the time. You know he. He believed God was sovereign, supreme over all these things. He trusted Him. He he leaned on the on the Lord. Um, he loved um, the the scriptures that He had available to Him. And so, I think there's good, you know, good teaching there for us in terms of how do we deal with these things. Saturate your mind and heart in the scriptures, mm. and instead of sitting around the coffee table and talking about the spirit world with your friends how about you know listening to the the words of christ you know in the gospels yeah i think of i think of paul in romans 7 as he's battling that inward struggle you know wicked man that i am Mm -hmm. you know who who can save me and the next phrase is thanks be to christ yeah and there's that reminder of going back to the gospel going back to the cross and yeah, finding it with scripture. It's interesting to see. You know, you look at you look at the chronological progression of the gospels and in the, in the book of Acts, and you see quite a bit of of interaction from Christ with the demonic world, and then a little bit of interaction with the demonic world and the apostles. And by the end of Acts, there's none. Hmm. You know, so that that's not coincidental. So I think that's good to think about. And of course, Jesus interaction with the spirit world wasn't because there was more spirit activity in his day than ours. It's that there was a, a particular interest in the spirit world in defeating him. 
and there was also um, the need for Christ to establish his supremacy over the spirit world and over the natural world and over humanity. And so he did all three of those things in the Gospels. He demonstrated his supremacy over the spirit world by casting out demons, you know, sending them into the pigs and stuff so forth. Um, he demonstrated his, his supremacy over nature by walking on water, by calming storms, by feeding, you know, thousands of people. And then he, you know, demonstrated his supremacy over people in numerous ways by calling them unto himself, by changing their hearts, by, you know, directing their, their activity, you know, walking up to Nathaniel and saying, I, I know what you were thinking about before we met. Well, Whoa. <laughs> I've met the Christ. <laughs> so, yeah. I love that passage. I do too. Mm-hmm. So, um, speaking of this idea of spending too much time uh, in one area, what's, what's a danger of focusing too much time on the demonic? Is, or is there a danger in, in, in doing that? Well, one obvious danger is that um, we tend to see more of what we focus on. Um, it's called meditation, and meditation is extremely powerful. And I'm not talking about Hindu meditation. I'm talking about um, what you set your mind on. Uh, what you spend your time thinking about tends to, to take root and you see more of it. Um, and so one danger of spending a, a particular amount of time just meditating on the demonic is that, it, just the fact of demons, I'm not saying meditating on demonic things, um, is you might be tempted to see demonic activity where there's not as much. But I, th- I think the, the biggest danger is the fact that we don't have a guiding rubric in Scripture for for doing that. Because... I, I can meditate on the reality of the demonic all day. And at the end of the day, if I'm coming up to a difficult situation or um, some a, a counseling circumstance that, um, that has an extra measure of darkness to it, I might be tempted to sit here and try to figure out whether or not there's demonic activity in the room. And I, I, don't, I don't know how to determine that. Um, I think Paul would call that vain speculation. Yeah. You know, it's, yes. you're you're thinking about the possibility of this being there, and it is possible. Yeah, it is, it right. is. But like you said, there's no rubric for it. So yeah. how do you how do you identify that, and and from a biblical perspective, right? Yeah, and I think the the healthiest way forward is going to be to to look at the passages of scripture where spiritual warfare is most particularly spoken about, like Ephesians six. For example, one of the most eye-opening things to, to me as far as shifting my understanding of spiritual warfare, because you know I had some charismatic influences um, from high school, um, a little bit from college, and in our um, in our pneumatology and angelology class, you know, at school we we had a professor, a seminary prof, come in and do a, a workshop for us on demonic encounter and how to speak to demons in the name of Jesus, which has something to do with the podcast we just talked about last week, you know, what is the name of Jesus about? Um, And reading a chapter in a book called Understanding Spiritual Warfare, which is one of those four views books, um, the chapter by David Pallison in there on classic reformed view of of spiritual warfare blew open this subject for me because he, he went through the armor of God piece by piece 
And he showed that for Paul, what he was doing when he was talking about spiritual warfare in Ephesians 6 was he was looking back to the Old Testament in Isaiah primarily and then some Psalms. And, and piece by piece of the armor is actually messianic. And so he's looking at these pieces of armor and he's saying, these things that you're putting on for your spiritual warfare is you putting on Christ who put these things on. And so Paul's call for spiritual warfare was nothing less than or other than putting on Christ day by day. And that sounds a lot like the normal Christian life to me. Well, it's it's objective. Mm-hmm. You know, everything else we're talking about is so subjective, and people run all over the place with it. Oh, yeah. But if you can be objective, and Scripture makes things objective for the most part, um, it's, it's so much more healthy, spiritually healthy, to walk that road, you know? Yeah, and, so. and what more encouragement? I mean, think about how Paul talks in Colossians 2 about the fact that Christ at the cross disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame. What better to put on than Christ, who himself is the victor mm-hmm. over all the forces of darkness? Mm-hmm. And what putting on Christ looks like day by day, I think we're pretty familiar with. And seeking to get better at it looks like the process of sanctification. Well, it's like that last week we talked, I think, about uh, this kind of thing from the, the sons of Sceva in Acts. You know, they, <laughs> the, they, the, the, the demonic forces that were at work in that demon-possessed man in that chapter uh, spoke to the sons of Sceva, and they said, Jesus we know, <laughs> Paul we know, but who in the world are you? <laughs> Bloody and naked, they and, ran and so away. <laughs> even the demons understand the authority chart, you know. Jesus, we know. <laughs> yeah. Now, so, so if we're gonna, I'm, I, I guess I'm just supporting what you're saying, Rick, on that whole the whole idea of knowing Christ and putting on Christ. Uh, if the demonic world responds to that, why wouldn't we? Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, friends, on February 21st, we will be starting our Timothy group session back up, and we're going to be reading uh, C.S. Lewis's book, The Screwtape Letters. And that is such a great little book uh, on noticing and seeing the tricks that Satan uses um, to tempt us, to lure us away. Um, So we encourage you men to be there uh, February 21st as we begin our Timothy group and uh, as we encourage one another as we go out into uh, the battlefield of our Christian walk. Uh, We love you. We look forward to being with you on Sunday and next week on The Voice of the Valley. Have a great week, Sun Valley Church.